Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. <laughs> Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. I am back with Stephanie, one of my favorite, favorite guests to ever have on the Open House Podcast. At the end of every episode, I have connected a million dots. There's been light bulb moments all over the shop, and I know that everyone listening feels the same way because you always message me saying that. So I'm so excited to have her back with us. Today, we are going to be talking about the connection between the mother wound and friendships. Now, we're going to be particularly looking at female friendships in today's episode. I think it's a really interesting topic because sometimes we struggle with friendships. Sometimes we have a lot of them. Sometimes they're surface level. Sometimes we feel like we're not really in a community and everyone else has best female friends. I have a lot of experiences in this as I do with everything else. So I'm sure I will share some of that along the way. But most of all, Stephanie is just going to give us the rundown on the connection she sees in therapy between her clients that have a mother wound and how it might show up in friendship. So Stephanie, welcome back. So happy to have you here. How are you? And what are we going to talk about today? Oh, I'm so happy to be back. I love these episodes, Louise. We always get so much covered and people can relate so much. I'm the same as you. I get so many messages and I don't think you and I realize the, how powerful these conversations are. We just speak freely and people are, like you said, connecting dots and things that you and I take for granted, buzzwords, conversations that you and I have 
other people, they're hearing that for the first time. The mother wound, again, we've done the episode on the mother wound. If people haven't listened yet, it is this core wound of feeling disconnected from mom, knowing that mom was disconnected from her sort of parenthood. And that didn't always just stay in the home. That sort of bled out into your early years, your life at school, how you viewed mum in, in social constructs, how you saw mum around other women, other people. We have focused so much on how we viewed mum with dad, how we viewed mum without dad, how we viewed mum just on her own in the house. But we tend to ignore the fact that we have to get a really good sort of grip on who mum was with the people that she cared about or in her loneliness, whatever it might be. So I think we need to have a look at that today. Yes, and I'm so excited to get into this today. Now, I guess my first question for you is, do you think it's fair to say that if you have a ruptured or distant relationship with your mother, it can show up the same way in friendships? Like you might find it harder to bond with females because you didn't bond with your mother like that's obviously very reductive and very simplistic and it might be totally incorrect but do you see any kind of similarities showing up like that yes I tend to see a lot of women who have a mother wound or a a relationship with mum that wasn't authentic shall we say and it's not always intended Louise not having an authentic relationship with your mum doesn't mean that she stepped into the house and completely invalidated you or ignored you it was that she might have been pretending to be okay she might have been bogged down with depression mental health issues and so you never really got that true vulnerability with her and true connection and The key thing that I see with a lot of women that don't have that true connection with mum, that true vulnerability is they tend to work in very masculine environments. So football, rugby, the corporate world. And again, having a father wound, having that disconnect from dad, that is going to impact how you see men, how you interact around men. But actually the mother wound, how you interact with other females is going to lead you into environments where you feel a lot safer, where you have a lot more control or where you're viewed differently. A woman that works in a very masculine environment, whether it's banking or sports, she's going to feel a lot more feminine and female around these men because she's not having to compete with the other women. And that leads me on to my next point. One of the biggest things that I see with women who have a a distant relationship or a fragile relationship with mom is this pain of comparison. Compare yourself everywhere to everyone. Even if you're not consciously aware of it, you will be working harder than other women. You will be trying to dress better than other women. You will be trying to get into a relationship before, you know, your friends get into a relationship or whatever it might look like for your life, whatever your values hold, whatever is important to you. You're on that constant roller coaster of comparison got to be the best you got to get better at this so it is it's the pain of comparison it's never truly having a safe space really with women that you can go into and reflect and then come back out of and get a true sense of who you are okay I love this point around comparison because I want to ask you if that can also tie back to childhood in terms of your mother and potentially your father, but your mother saying, you need to do better at school. Look at what X is doing at school. Why aren't you getting the best grades? That's the first comparison that comes to mind for me. And then the second comparison I have is you or your mother comparing you against your siblings. 
I wonder if that comparison as well, is it all of these things, like if your mother is comparative and critical, that you're more likely to compare yourself to your friends when you grow up and be more critical to yourself in the process? Do you think that kind of all connects together? You would think so, wouldn't you, Louise? You would think that having this critical, judgmental mother is going to lead you to criticise yourself. And yes, that can happen. Naturally, you would take on those traits. But actually, it's seeing mum not advocate for herself. It's seeing mum not speak up. But then she's got such huge views on you. Now, I don't know if you've heard this, but I know a few other therapists have brought this to light. And it's something that I see a lot. The oldest child, we've touched on this on the podcast before, tends to be the therapist. But the second child tends to be mum's inner child. That's why middle child tends to get more a bit closer to mum, a bit more understanding from mum. Now, if you're an only child, you are now on par with mum in terms of power dynamics. You are driving everywhere together. You are going for food together. You are socialising together. And there isn't really the parent-child dynamic. So those who have been an only child are going to have a different experience of mum. Those who have siblings are going to have a different experience of mum. But like you said, if you are being criticised and judged and having these expectations placed on you by mum, does that lead you to hold yourself to high expectations? It's the opposite. We hold mum to high expectations. We start to look and go, why didn't you do that for yourself? Why are you expecting that from me? Why do you ask so much of me? And then we turn inward. We turn inward and that's when we run for the masculine environment. That's when we start controlling. That's when we head towards relationships that potentially we are emotionally unavailable in those. So it isn't always directly mum's critical, we become self-critical. It has this feeling that we lose respect for mum. Mum wants you to do really well at school, but mum never really achieved her goals or did anything. She was just, I hate this, just a housewife or just a homemaker, but actually it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. But we look at mum and we say, you're absolutely miserable, yet you want me to live up to all these expectations. Hell no, I'm going to move away from that. So what that does is it then, like I said, puts you in a place where you are not good at practicing discernment. So when you've got discernment, you then have judgment. So discernment and judgment. When you have discernment, you can go, oh, that feels good, that feels right, and that's a positive experience. Or no, that doesn't feel good, that doesn't feel right. You can practice discernment in all aspects. But when you tend to follow down the judgment route, that's when you start to take on mom's voice, you're critical, judgmental. So yeah, one of the biggest things, again, is you're not able to practice discernment. You are more judgmental of other people. And this tends to bring up a lot of problems in the work environment. And that is the ways because with work, friendships, all of that, we tend to go romantic relationships, keep them over here, and everything else gets muddled together. But it just means that wherever you show up, you are the friend that people know. It's going to be a bit tough to be around you when they are feeling vulnerable. Interesting, because you're in your masculine, so it's hard to be vulnerable with people when they're not in their like receptive, soft feminine. That That's such an interesting point. And I'd love it if we could just touch on what you said there around the people or the girls that love just having the guy friends. You know, they're like, oh, I'm not a girl's girl. Oh, I prefer being friends with guys. They're easier. They're less emotional. They're less dramatic. They're less bitchy. I actually think that 
female friendship is the most beautiful thing in the world and we need more of it. And when you are a healthy female, you can really have beautiful, healthy friendships. But I'd love to just understand what is going on with the the opposite of the girl's girl, the girl that loves the guys. Is it that they don't feel safe in female friendships, so they go towards the male friendships because it's more masculine? What do you see happening there? Do you see anything happening there? It's so true. I don't know if you've seen this before, Louise, but there's a meme on Instagram. It's horrific. And it's a woman with all these hot dogs in her mouth. <laughs> I have seen that. It's so funny. It's like, I, I only have guy friendships. It's disrespectful because it's insinuating. It's suggesting that if we only like male friendships, then we're obviously having sex with these people. Yeah, I mean, she's literally got her mouth wide open. If no one has seen this, she has hot dogs in her mouth and there's a lot in there. But yeah, it's that meme, isn't it? And this is the thing, again, your own conditioning, Louise, you've just said to me, oh, if girls prefer male relationships, does that mean that they don't prefer female relationships? And a lot of us who have had drama in our lives or have severed relationships will find that men are very forward thinking. They're motivated by their masculine. They live in the future of what's happening next. How can we resolve this? So if you feel better in that environment, it might be that you had to think that way as a child anyway. Now, thinking along the lines of an example, I'll give you an example of a client or a situation that I've seen in the past, just so that people can get a better understanding. Say, for example, you had an emotionally inconsistent parent mum say for example mum was a single parent she was emotionally inconsistent or dad worked a lot you never really saw him so some days you got her happy and taking you to school and she was showing up for you and she was showing up for herself and then when she felt low and down she hid away or she would clean she would ignore you she wouldn't really ask about your day so you get these two variations of feminine energy and it is tied in with your sense of self so you're building your sense of self around this woman this one person who is in control of your whole life, who you depend on for survival. And this inconsistency becomes a life pattern. It becomes a cycle for you. So then you're with your high school friends and one minute they're leaving you out, then they're welcoming you back into the circle. You're in these situations all the time with emotionally inconsistent people because you've seen that displayed. And so women just become unsafe to you. Add that to the fact that we are already a species that relies on emotional support, emotional connection. We like to cry. We like to get upset and be able to share that over here. And we keep it from the men. We keep it from our relationships. So it was likely that if your mum did have good friendships, she was potentially moaning to them, vocalizing everything to them. And you were seeing what dad was seeing, or you weren't seeing anything at all. It might just be that you have a very unsafe expression of feminine energy or of what females feel to you. Yeah, I think that is so interesting that potentially the people that, you know, aren't the girls, actually, they just don't feel safe around the girls. Like it's easier, they feel safer around the boys. And I think that's such an interesting question to say, why is it that the females don't provide safety to you? And I think that we can't overlook the fact that female friends can be difficult. Female friendships can be difficult. And male friendships can sometimes be easier. There is an argument that there's less bitching, there's less backstabbing, there's less gossiping. But for anyone that's listening to this and is thinking, yeah, I agree with that's why I'm friends with the guys. What I want to say to you is that you just haven't found the right girls yet. 
And I think a huge part of my journey was that I, in my 20s, I neglected my friendships all the time. I just worked. And if I had a boyfriend, they were my priority. Now, I had lots of friends, but I never felt like I had a best friend. I no longer had a childhood best friend. We grew apart. I no longer had my school best friend. We moved apart when she moved to America. So I had friends, but I didn't feel like I had any females like truly that I could call up and cry to. And I decided to basically make that a priority in my life. And what I want people listening, if they relate to this, to know is that I literally chose or said to myself, I want three to five really close people around me. And I'm a big believer in nurturing a very small number of very deep relationships rather than having 25 female friends in a group. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I look at Alex Earl on TikTok going to Positano with 25 of her college friends and I'm like, oh my God, that must be so fun. But where I'm at as a person, as an emotional person, as a vulnerable person, I'm learning that I need deep connections that can see me that can love me, that don't think I'm too much, that can hold space for me during the up and down of my life, because I do feel like my life is more of a roller coaster than the average. And I have big emotions and I feel big emotions. My point to this slightly long ramble is that I now have a couple of females around me who I could tell them anything. I could tell them anything and they would love me just the same They would be able to hold space for me emotionally. They would also be able to hold space for me logically. They have a great balance of feminine and masculine energy. They're all very intelligent, successful women, but they also can hold space for the crying and the anxiety and the emotions. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Do you think that's as a result of me doing the work and becoming healthier and becoming more in touch with my emotions? Or do you think that's just part of getting older? You look at Alex Earl, she's on a yacht with 25 of her friends and maybe over time it's like an age thing. I'd love your thoughts there. Thank you, Louise. And this is the thing, isn't it? We all have different needs. When we think about the needs that went unmet as a child, we all have to go from our lived experience. There are people listening to us right now who had a happy childhood on the surface, two great parents around and have their own traumas from things that happened, uh, times when their own safety was taken away. There are people who are listening who perhaps were in the care system. There are people that had a single mom. There are people who perhaps went to boarding school, but still had great parents. They just felt isolated from their parents. So going from your own lived experience and your own traumas, you have to still go back 
through the podcast that you and I have already done because it's all connected. So, you, for example, going off your lived experience, you lived in a house where mum consistently abandoned herself to keep the family going, to keep you feeling safe. And that meant that not she was not always able to speak up for herself. When mum did get angry or did get upset, it usually was after a long period of toleration. So then her voice would get loud. Now, we know from the conversations you and I have had on the podcast that the idea of marriage for you would potentially be terrifying because you've already been married. You already you were a wife to dad, an understanding, caring, supportive wife that held space for him. And you were a loving, supportive, attentive husband to your mom in the midst of two people not being able to come back to each other to repair. So because you've done that, it's always been communicated to you, Louise, that your emotions were so big that there was nowhere for your emotions to go. So you would deal with your own. So it's interesting that you said, I didn't really care about friends. I didn't prioritize them. I prioritized this need for romantic connection. And now as I've gotten older, because you've ticked the box of romantic connection, you've got this great partner now. So you've, you said it was very important for me to find a couple of friends. And then you went on to say, I have big emotions. They can handle my emotions. They can put up with me. They can tolerate me. They can put up with my anxiety. That's a set, You're essentially saying I'm so big emotionally that I've never ever had friends who were able to accept me fully for my vulnerabilities who could never show up for me. So there was no point. So you didn't connect with women because you aren't a girl's girl or because you put your relationships first. You've never had women who said to you, I get it, Louise, do you need me? What do you need from me? You never had that. And so it's just that you've now found that because you are now aware of your trauma. You're aware of these big emotions. And that doesn't mean that you will always go back into your relationships and go, hey, I'm being vulnerable today. Who wants to show up for me? They're still going to have to look for signs and maybe text each other and say, have you heard from Louise? No, I've not heard from her for a week. She's on social media. Does someone want to give her a call? So you're still going to get that. But essentially, you've led yourself down the path of comfort and security because you've gone, I didn't really take up much space as a child emotionally. Is that why I didn't have the friendships to match? Is that why I've, in relationships I betrayed myself so much? Maybe. And now the friends are coming along with the romantic relationship. Oh my God. I don't know if you can see. Obviously, you guys aren't watching on video unless this is on TikTok. I'm like sat here crying because I'm like, oh my God, she's, she, I've just had so many dots connected there, which is, you're so right. Like, I always feel like I'm too much for my friends. I feel like they have too much going on in their lives for, like, for my drama, particularly now people are having babies and they're pregnant. And I literally was crying on Sunday to my boyfriend. Because I'd held everything in. I've been so busy at work and I haven't been allowing myself to feel my emotions. And I literally said that to him. I was like, all oh, my friends, like, they're so busy. Like, I don't want to burden them. And like, I don't want to burden you. So I just keep it all inside me, which I know I, I shouldn't do. And it goes against my better judgment, but that is my automatic response. And despite that, I spoke with one of my friends yesterday. Hold on. And I think what you said was so interesting how it's like, I try not to take up any space and as I've gone on this journey, I've learned that like I need to take up space to build connections. And so my go-to is to isolate 
it's okay, I'm just going to go quiet. I'm not going to share this with anyone. I'm not going to be a burden. I don't want to have to go into it. They might not even have the space. They might just be being kind and offering to help me, but actually they don't really have the space to handle the emotions. So it's like, I just handle it myself. And then also with my partner, like I've always found that my partner is the person, they hold everything. I don't hold any emotion back from a partner. I never, ever have, but I've always Mm -hmm. held it back from female friendships. So I'd love to understand how that ties in as well. How like people listening, if they're like, oh my God, yeah, I'm like you. I've got friends, but maybe I don't ever share. It's easier to isolate myself than it is to call someone up and just cry on the phone. Because I still find that like difficult. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. I sent a message this morning to someone who was messaging me about their problem. And I sent them a voice note saying, sorry, I haven't got back to you. I've been going through some stuff. And then I gave them all the answers to their questions. And then their first response was like, oh, are you okay? What are you going through? And I replied saying, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Let's talk about you. And then we can get to me knowing full well that like we probably wouldn't get to me. So what, like, why do I just, why, yeah. Why do I never take up emotional space in my friendships, but I can do that in my romantic relationships. That's so weird. This is the thing we have to keep reminding ourselves that anyone who is just listening now and hasn't really focused on the other episodes, the way they lead into each other, Louise, is because we are the first generation of women who are choosing to do what we want to do, where we want to go. We are showing up. We are taking up space professionally, romantically. We've got women who don't want to have children, don't want to have families. Now, when we think of our mums and and, our, and their family situations, we, I remember when Facebook first started and it would be like friend in common. And then now when you look, we all know each other. If this was our parents' time, you and I would never have crossed each other's paths. We definitely wouldn't have a podcast. So, We didn't have somewhere that we could go to feel better. We didn't have the gym to go. We had our children, our families. And yes, there would have been women who were an exception to the rule. But actually, the general sort of consensus for society was to go into a house with a man and your children and to live there. And then you would moan to your neighbor or your family would come around and they'd help you with physical things. And if you did speak up about a problem, you it would just be like, okay, what are we going to do about it? Because you're not going to leave him. So you would suppress it and suppress it. So a lot of the time when your mum took up space, when your mum vocalised how she felt, when she communicated, it was when she was pissed off. When she'd already got to that point of, I'm sick of this. But then nothing happened after that. I'm sick of you. I raise these kids on my own. You know, you're never here. You're always at work. Don't you think I've got goals and dreams? Do you think all I want to do is sit in this house all day cleaning and cooking? What about my purpose? All of that. And you're hearing that as a child. And then your dad, who we, like you said, back then you wouldn't have known he was neurodivergent. He would have just been throwing himself into tasks and, and living as a father in a role that had been given to him. This is what a dad does. This is what a mom does. He was given that role and he's gone, but I'm supposed to just work and provide and come home. So there was never a solution. So every time you heard your mom moaning, there was no resolution. Dad didn't give anything extra. So when you're sitting there with your friends and you're thinking, I really want to tell them that I'm struggling with this, you think, but nothing's going to come of it. So if I vocalize it, what's the point? And we've all done it. I did it the other day. My dog got attacked on the green 
And I nearly had a panic attack. My little multi-poo, he'd had his hair cut. He must have looked like a lamb because the dog literally, literally just grabbed him. And my best friend's on holiday and she's in a new relationship. She's super happy. And I wrote out, oh my God, Prince got attacked on the green. And I was going to write this. And I just deleted it. And I went, oh, she's on holiday. I'll tell her when she's home. Because that's always been my default. And that's a very small thing to talk about. But if you can imagine... You have had a problem, you've resolved it in your head, you've fixed it. Why do I need to give it to anyone? And that's the process. You have just given me another insane light bulb moment, which is that I have never once heard my mum say in our entire life, in the family unit, I'm sad or I'm upset. It was always frustration. It was always anger, which you're teaching me is that's obviously just the cover up for the emotion, right? Because it just is easier to be angry than it is to cry sometimes for specific people. And that is just so crazy because like it's easier for me to be angry or to be annoyed or to be frustrated at myself, at my life, at other people, at my clients, at whoever it is that's causing me the stress rather than actually sitting there and saying, I feel really sad. I feel really lonely. And then take that and mix it into what you've just said. Like other people are busy. Other people are on holiday with their boyfriends. Other people have just had babies. Plus add into the fact that I'm working on a six hour time difference. So if I'm upset at 8 PM at night, it's two o'clock in the morning. I think there's no way that I want to send this now. So someone wakes up to this at seven o'clock tomorrow morning. So I just did what you did. I just say, it's okay. I'll just handle it myself. And then I handle it with my boyfriend or more likely I just work. How can I suppress? How can I suppress? For me, that's working. I know we all have our own like suppression tactics or disconnection tactics. That is crazy. And I think one thing that I have learned through therapy, through you is that when I want to isolate, when I want to retreat, when my little inner child wants to go to her bedroom, because that's what I did all the time. I spent my whole childhood just alone in my bedroom reading on MSN. I was the black sheep of the family, one million percent. That's what I still want to do in adulthood. My conscious mind knows I need to go and connect with my female friends. I need to send them a voice note saying, I'm sad. This is going on. I'm crying because of this. But my inner child is just go to your bedroom. Just go to your bedroom. It's safe in there. It's quiet in there. It's protective in there. So I'd love to just, as we start to wrap up, start to understand like that whole taking ourselves to our bedroom as a child and how that might show up in this like communication later in life. This is the thing, isn't it, Louise? You don't realize until you speak about it, until you say it out loud. And that's why therapy, people go, oh, do I need therapy? Should I have therapy? That's why therapy is so important because you have this experience and this narrative in your head. You give it to someone else. You've told me a little bit about your parents and what the dynamic was like. I still probably know about 2% of what your childhood was like and what mum's childhood was like and what dad's childhood was like. So you have that 2% and you give that to a therapist and they translate it, they interpret it, and then they formulate it back to you. And what they do is in the process of doing that, they hold space for you, they understand your emotions, and they also acknowledge the inner child. And when you have that and you've said it out loud and you've seen it, what you've done is you put it out in front of you. You've looked at it and you've gone, that's what happened. 
That's why. And it's the same thing, even when you share things with me about your partner, like you've got this great partner now, but you have touched on the fact that your communication usually will come out when you're upset and when you're angry. Now, when we only see communication during conflict, that often is because, like we said, our parents, either dad wasn't around, so mum had no one to reflect with, or she would wait until she got to a certain point. Now, the issue with the isolating yourself and not feeling like you can give that to anyone else, that is usually because when you made a mistake or did something wrong, you were sent to your bedroom. You were sent to think about it. So you won't think about your problems unless you've made a mistake or unless you've done something wrong. And we know that because that's why we overthink and we go, oh, should I have said that? It could be you said something in anger to someone or you've insulted someone or you've gone hard to one of your friends in a situation and you go, oh, should I have gone that hard? And you overthink and you sit because the shame causes the overthinking. That's what happens when you have a problem. So your part, you had a massive argument with your partner and you say to him, do you know what? Screw you, I'm moving back to London. And he says, go then. Do you think I want you sitting around here being miserable and making my life worse? And the argument gets so bad that you feel shame. So that shame then stops you from giving it to another woman. It stops you from giving it to someone else. You keep it because you then go off to your room to think about your actions. You then take yourself subconsciously back to your bedroom to sit with yourself because you made a mistake. And that is so dangerous for society. And the patriarchy has built on that and layered on that and layered on it. And it's pinned us against each other. And it's society has made movies where the woman has been blamed, where, you know, even now, I've seen, I won't mention names because I don't like to call people out like that, but there is a very well-known, she's doing this, she's moving up and up, she's getting more and more followers, more and more recognition. She came out and said that depression wasn't real and the abandonment wound isn't real and, and commented on all these things. And people in the comments were saying, my dad didn't want to know me. It wasn't my mum's fault. My dad didn't want to know me. Your mum should have chosen a better partner. How is that a response to someone, you know, and this is what we've always, we've lived in this society where even when the woman is upset, down, alone, oh, but we shouldn't have married him then. Oh, but you shouldn't have children then. Well, you, you should not have made that decision. So that shame that we have on a societal level still lives within us. And then the inner child has the shame. And naturally, we've touched on this again on the other podcast where we spoke about what did mum do when she was sad? She cleaned, she cooked, she isolated herself in that way. Now, we know that when you are happy, Louise, you don't do that stuff because you're not tied to that. When you feel sad, Louise, you will feel messy, you will feel dirty, and your life will feel out of control because they're all the things that mum controlled when she was sad. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how many times have I said to my boyfriend, like when I get to the peak of that, I'm just like, oh my God, I just need to get my shit together. I just need to go to the gym, tidy the house, go to the supermarket so I can meal prep next week and stop getting delivery. It's like, how can I just control all of the things that you've just called mess there? That is so interesting because that's my mum. Everything was controlled, organized. We even joke about her fridge maintenance. It's like, you can't even put something in the fridge because she has control of the fridge. Things go in certain places. It's a family joke, but also it's not a family joke. I'm messy and I'm loose and I'm fluid. And then I also have this side of like control and judgment because of growing up with that. So that is fascinating. And I think 
My final point is what you said around the shame, because I think that we're talking about staying small. If you don't have, or if you can't open yourself up to people, the true you, the true depths of your real emotions, if you can't do that, you have to restrain it. You hold it in, you suppress it, and you stay small. When you stay small, you are not being your authentic self. You are not speaking your truth because speaking your truth involves the big messy emotions as well as the things that aren't messy. It's the beauty of everything. And if you're not being authentic, you literally are not living in alignment with yourself and you feel like no one will ever love you. Why would they ever want to be friends with you? Because why would they want to be friends with someone that has to hide everything and they have blah, blah, blah. So I think my biggest takeaway from this is I don't want anyone to be suppressing staying small, staying inauthentic. Like I want people to know that there are friendships out there where you can be fully yourself. Like I have one friend where I could tell her literally anything, whether it's that I feel like I, I'm just trying to think of what we talk about, like whether it's that I'm so overwhelmed and I'm working so hard and I can't keep up with it and I just don't ever feel like I'm doing a good enough job or whether it's that I feel like I'm lonely or whether it's feel like blah, blah, blah she's there. She gets it. We connect. Like I can be myself 100%. And I just really hope that people listening to this, that you have at least one female in your life that you can be 100% yourself with. And if you don't, I would hope that instead of us shaming ourselves here, we would say, okay, how can I look to nurture a friendship like that? Because it's never, ever too late. Like three of my best friends I met one at 28, one at 30 and one at 31. Like three of my five best friends I met in or around my 30s. So it's never too late. Yeah. Honestly, Louise, like you said, it's shrinking and hiding. And what will tend to happen is, like you said, you'll have things going on. The way you talk, Louise, you would think that you had murdered someone because you're like, my friends accept me for everything. I'm like, who is Louise Kills? Because she literally keeps talking about how they just accept her. It's, I always think as well, like, I, say if you're getting ready in the mirror and you're not sat down, say we've all done it, you're getting ready somewhere else that isn't in your space and you've got out the shower and you're doing your makeup and then the, the towel falls and then you get the rolls and the boobs and you're sat there. <laughs> if you have a friend who can sit with you when you look like that, you know, someone who just, like you said, accepts you who you are. A friend when you're messy, when you are crying, when you are not just vulnerable. I don't want people to think that it's just when you're down all the time. Someone who will celebrate you and someone who isn't afraid of your anger. That has been huge for me because my mum contains so much of her anger because of her responsibility. But then if I said, oh, mum's mum said something to me, she would be out in the street ready to advocate for me because she couldn't stand up to my dad, because she couldn't vocalise certain things in her relationship. So she would be up at the school, my daughter this, there was always a place that she would put that anger. So have a look at where your mum was the most accepted, where your mum was the most received and how much of that was her being happy. Our mums had friends, we have friends. But when your friend has seen you screaming at your ex and you're like, I'm going to kill you, I hate you, and you're screaming all of this hatred and then they see you and they soothe you and they say, it's okay to feel this way. It doesn't even have to be a friend. How many people have had someone step into their life and say, are you okay? And you've cried to them and you've gone, no, I'm not okay because you are literally dying, craving 
that connection from a female. Now, if you didn't see that with mum, if you didn't see mum showing up in that space, if you haven't seen other women receive your mum or accept your mum, it might be that for you, like we said, it just isn't a safe space. And a lot of women are going through things. Like you said, in your 30s, I don't think I see these really toxic posts on Instagram and I wish they'd be banned. It's like, if you don't have a friend that you've known for 25 years, then maybe you're the problem. And I'm like, did you not grow? Did you not change? Did you not fall out with people? People move cities. People have children. People don't have children. People go about their day-to-day -day life and people don't always fit in with that. So I want you to be aware that you don't have to have a friend that of 20 years and where you're bound by loyalty, but you're still talking about the same things. Embrace new people, embrace new friendships and put yourself in places where you are being angry, you are being upset, you are allowing people to see that raw emotion that your mum wasn't able to show. Oh, that is so beautiful because I agree. I don't have a friend I've known for 25 years. I'm not friends with anyone from school. And that's one of the saddest things. One of my biggest regrets is like drifting away from my school friends. And there's a lot of reasons why that happened. Don't have time to go into them now. But I just want to say that, yeah, all my friendships have come from later in life, but they are some of the most beautiful friendships that I ever have. So most of my friendships have come from being from university and being later in life, like into my 30s. So I want other people to know that, yeah, it's okay if you don't have a friend from you from when you were five. But if you do, that's amazing. But also, like Stephanie said, can you grow? Can they hold space for you like when you are turning into a different person? And I think my final point is like we focus so much on sharing our emotions and sharing the bad times, sharing the messy times. I love what you said. Do your friends celebrate you? Because if they don't, they are not true and healthy friends. Like I am obsessed with my best friends. I truly think that they are the best people in the world. Like I will do anything for them. I think they are smart. They are funny. They are intelligent. They are interesting. They are kind. They are beautiful. I would switch place with all of them in an instant. Like I think they are amazing. I will shout their names from the rooftops. If I'm in a room where there's an opportunity for them, I will always bring them up. I never bitch about them behind their back. I do not bitch about my friends. Full stop. I do not bitch about people. If I have a problem with someone or something that is building up, I will talk to them about it. I do not bitch about my friends. I would never want them to bitch around me. I would never want them to bitch about me. Yeah, I love these people. I celebrate them and I hope that anyone listening to them. So I love my friends. I celebrate them. I think they're amazing. I probably should turn a bit of that love inwards, I think is what you're teaching me today is you're saying, who did you murder? And you're right. I've not murdered anyone. I probably could, not going to lie. My moments of anger, they used to be very intense, but haven't murdered anyone. And you're right. Come to this life, I think, with so much shame around the emotions that I hold, being too much, being too big. And that does keep us small and defective. So I think you're teaching me that I also need, just need to celebrate myself in the same way that I celebrate my friends, right? If you asked your friends to describe you, Louise, how would they describe you? Oh my what God, do you think I feel the discomfort in my body when you ask me that question. Like I felt it, an uncomfortable feeling like, oh my God, don't make me answer that question. So that is so interesting, is it? Isn't it? Okay. An easier way to get through that discomfort, because like you said, you can push through it easily. Not easily, but you have mastered that because of the work you've done. Same for me, but there are people listening who definitely can't do that. If you were in a room 
with your inner child and your friend's inner child, what would they be connecting over? What would they love about each other? What would make them bond? Oh my God, I find that question even harder. I think I might have to answer the adult question. I think I find that one easier. I don't even know what. Do you think you accept? Do you think you accept your adult self a lot more than you do your younger self? I honestly just feel so sad for my younger self. Like, I think I'm learning to really love and accept who I am as an adult, but I haven't quite got there on the journey yet of being able to like truly love. I just feel so bad for my inner child. I feel like you were so neglected and so overlooked and you had so many emotions that you probably just suppressed and that makes me feel so sad and to be able to heal those feelings I need to feel them all so I think it's like easier for me to heal my adult and to like myself which I really do than to heal my inner child so I think that is just a very big flashlight into like where I need to go next on my healing journey but I think just to answer that question, because I don't know, I don't want people to be like, oh, she asked you a question and you didn't answer it. You avoided yeah. it. I do think that my friends would say that I'm kind and that I'm very caring and I'm attentive. One of my friends told me that I'm the most thoughtful friend she's ever had. And I couldn't even hold that compliment. I was like, how can that be? How can that be true? But I also think they would say that I am fucking fun and I'm like, we laugh and there's never a dull moment. I guess that's what they'd focus on. I guess they wouldn't say, oh, she's highly emotional and oh, she's a roller coaster. So that's a kind of nice exercise to do is that like probably actually they, maybe I should do this exercise and actually ask them and see what they say. That's the thing, isn't it, Louise? It's because like you said, you spent so much time nurturing your adult self and nurturing your I think what you do Louise is you nurture your wise inner parent that's what you do and I don't think you realize how many cycles you have broken along the way so it's not always holding space for our inner child and and showing up for her it's putting our adult self in situations that she doesn't feel unsafe so for example if you are someone who is emotionally unavailable, you can't see yourself finding love, you can't see yourself ever settling down, you are having these meaningless relationships to feel good, you're giving your physical body rather than your emotional. Your inner child, you walk into a bar, your inner child is pulling you out of the bar, she's going, please don't put us in another cycle where we're going to be not accepted for who we are or where we're going to make people laugh and make people attracted to us. I want to be accepted for who I am. When you look at that inner child and you go, do you know what? I'm going to go in this bar. I'm going to have a drink on my own and then I'm going to go home or I'm going to call one of my girlfriends and tell her to come and meet me. Your inner child goes, okay, we're okay now. And it's those moments. It's not necessarily sitting there and holding space for that inner child every day. It's the little moments that you go into where you go into situations where you've got road rage. Someone cuts you up in the road and you want to scream at them and your inner child's in the passenger seat thinking, please don't get angry. I don't want to be around your dysfunction. I don't want to be around you because you're you're dysregulated. It's going, it happened. Your inner child goes, we're not angry today. We're emotionally balanced. It's all of those moments. She is there with you. And if you can picture her there, every time you're mean to her, every time you don't accept a compliment or every time that you suppress your emotions, I see a lot with you, Louise, sometimes when we have these conversations, 
you physically stop yourself from crying with your with your facial nerve. So obviously you have your ocular motor nerve, you've got your facial nerve, you've got your auricular nerve, and then you've got your glossopharyngeal nerve. Now they are all connected to your vagus nerve. Now your vagus nerve needs to send a message from your brain to your gut, stopping that. And by the way, guys, I was just pulling a lot of funny faces, but if you're stopping that, so your glossopharyngeal nerve, you're not speaking. You're not shouting. You're not saying what you need to say. You're not expressing yourself. You're not crying. So everything there, the message doesn't get through. I I know that's a completely different podcast and probably one for one of your other professionals, but it all ties in when you're stopping yourself from crying. It comes out somewhere else. It affects you somewhere else. Even just feeling your emotions is allowing that inner child to go, we've got this. Oh, yeah, you're so right. I've spent my whole life like thinking I'm so emotional, but then I'm also like the most suppressed person ever. Like you yeah. know, you've noticed it. Like I stop myself from crying and then I wonder why I have a chronic pain disorder where all the professionals say, oh, it's from suppressing your emotions. And yeah. then Sarah Murphy, our biology of trauma expert, she says, yeah, because since you were four years old, three years old, maybe even younger, you would, you knew you had to suppress your emotions because if you expressed them, there wasn't space there. There wasn't the environment for you to do that. So I'm still that adult that suppresses, suppresses until, like I told you before we got on this call, it explodes. And I was just saying to Stephanie before we got on the recording, she asked me, how have you been? And I said, because we haven't spoken in a few weeks. And I said, honestly, I'm good, but I've just been working myself into the ground. And it came to a head on Sunday when I just like couldn't breathe. And my sports bra was so tight. And I was like, I'm going to have a panic attack for no other reason. Like nothing had even happened other than like, I just, my body was just responding to like the suppression. Oh God, I feel seen. I also love how we were like, oh, we're going to do like a 15 minute bonus episode. (laughs) And it's been 50 minutes so far. And I'm like, again, this is one of the best episodes that I think we've ever done. Cause I've just realized, fuck, I just, I suppress so much. I grew up in a house where I had to suppress my mother suppressed until she couldn't do it anymore. That's what I do. I suppress everything until I explode just like my mum did. And then I don't share it with my female friends. Cause I think I'm too much. Cause the family unit taught me that I was too much. And my brother was the control one and I was the emotional one. So here I am in my female friendships, like trying to share little bits of emotion about me, not doing a very good job at it. And I need to just more consistently on a daily basis, just share the good, share the bad. Because what I do is I won't connect with people for a few days and then it's, oh my God, all of this happened or, oh my God, all of that happened. So you are helping me see that I just need to work to not keep suppressing all day, every day. Queen of suppression over here that thought oh, she was and, and that's, that's it, Louise, isn't it? It's the shame. You are carrying secondhand shame. So what would happen is your dad would upset mom or your dad would not see mom. Maybe dad didn't do anything in, in particular that upset mom. Maybe he just didn't support her or maybe he didn't hold space for her or maybe her friends didn't really hold space for her. And so dad sort of bore the brunt of it. Dad doesn't know what's going on with mom. She's suppressing cleaning, cooking. She's taking you to your practices. She's going to parents' evenings. Then she asks for something and that need doesn't get met. So she blows up. She smashes something. She leaves the house and you go, the following three days, for example, after mom has her big blow up, her monthly blow up, it could have been when she's on a period. It could have been towards the end of the month when dad spent more time away from work. You then see that when mom blows up, dad sleeps on the couch or dad doesn't come home from work, or dad plays a lot more golf. Because you're hypervigilant as a child, you're watching and connecting all of this. So mom's communicated she's upset. 
dad has pulled away. So even that, watching their behaviors when they communicate their big emotions has communicated to you that if I show a big emotion, I'm going to lose connection. I'm going to lose this person who is here. So I'd rather keep them here and have a relationship or a friendship here that is based on happiness and support and camaraderie rather than actual real raw emotion. And I've had a light bulb moment myself. So my mum used to do the same, Louise. Suppress, suppress, clean. And there was one time and she blew up and she threatened to kill herself. Now, when someone on a day-to-day basis is not giving off suicidal thoughts or suicidal behaviours or suicidal depression, and then they come out of their bedroom and they say, I'm sick of being a mom, I'm sick of doing everything and I want to die. You can't make sense of that in your head. So that emotion, even for you, feels too big. So you leave the house or you sit on the back doorstep. You can't go and share it with your friends because they're young too. You're scared to tell anyone else because it's a big, scary, shameful moment. And I had a moment with my daughter where I was overwhelmed a few years ago and I was so upset, I was so upset and I did this really dramatic thing where I threw myself to the floor and I went, like this, but she fell on the floor and I was like, I can't cope with my life and my daughter wasn't here, I was on my own, crying on my own and then I felt, how bad is this for suppression? I felt like I was a character in a movie or a book I felt so dramatic and then it creeped up on me. I felt like my mum. Wow. And I got up so fast and I fixed myself and I put my hair in a bubble and I just went and I rang my sister and I went, I've been really upset today. And she said, what's happened? Are you okay? And I went, I feel like my mum. And I burst into tears and she goes, Steph, what's wrong? And I said, I just threw myself on the floor. I'd like pushed the chairs. I'd like broken something. And I, the fear of feeling like I was my mum literally snapped me out of it. I literally, I went, I don't want to feel like her. I don't want to be that. And I composed myself. Now I probably had about 30% more anger to show. I probably should have called someone in the midst of that anger, in that emotion. And I didn't. I waited till I'd pulled myself up, recovered. I cleaned up the mess. And then I sat back down and then I called someone. And this is what we do. We don't allow that emotion to go all the way because we're so afraid of it. We're so afraid to see it. And that's why even listening to this podcast, if you are listening, if you have had a consultation call and not gone to therapy, if you've read a book, anything small that allows you to go, that's an okay emotion to feel. It's okay if I'm messy. It's okay if I'm angry. It's okay if I'm full of rage. It's okay if I break something because I'm feeling it. And that's what we have to do instead of running from it. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I love it when you share your stories, because I feel like, first of all, I don't want to be the only one that's just talking all the time. And second of all, I love how you share the reality of the fact that you are a therapist, you have done so much work, you have so much self-awareness, and you still go through these things because you are human. You are a human being who has lived your own experience. I just love you being vulnerable, you being authentic. And I'm so grateful for that. So thank you so much. And we should probably wrap up here. I wish we could keep going, but honestly, I love how this was going to be a quick bonus episode. And I know I've said it once, but truly this is like one of the best episodes I think I have ever recorded on the whole of the podcast, like in 99 episodes or wherever we're up to now. So thank you so much to everyone listening as ever. 
everything from Stephanie is going to be linked in the show notes, how you can find her on social media, how you can work with her. I'm not sure if she's taking on new clients, but she will always update you with that through her social media. And if you reach out to her and most of all, stay tuned because Stephanie and I have a couple of things in the pipeline that I think are going to be an incredible help for all of you who have loved these episodes with her. She is incredible. Stephanie, thank you so much for all that you give to this podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. And like I said, anyone that takes a small action after listening, just know that your inner child is looking at you and she's smiling and or he is smiling and saying, thank you. You're giving a little bit of safety to that. We can't go back into the past, but we can bring the past with us sometimes. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. 